You're listening to the Thrive Works webcast, where you hear facts, not fluff. Introducing your host, Dr. Anthony Centaur. I'm Dr. Anthony Centaur, and today we are talking about marriage. Specifically, those who enter into marriage for the first time at 30 or older. So with us today to talk about this topic is Mr. Curtis Robinson. Uh, Curtis is a licensed associate counselor out of Conway, Arkansas, and also a married man of 14 years. Curtis works with uh, many couples, a growing number, who are entering or have entered into marriage later in life. Without further ado, Curtis, thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks, Dr. Centaur. It's uh, great to be here. You know, I'm a big fan. So uh, let's dive right in. <clears throat> marriage, uh, getting married, let's say after 30, it's no longer uh, an outlier. It's actually becoming more of the norm. Why is that? And, and where are we headed as a culture with marriage? Uh, Anthony, I think that uh, you're exactly right. It's uh, becoming more and more the norm. We're seeing uh, a lot of people are realizing it is difficult to uh, raise a family in these times. There's some economic reasons to that. A lot of people are going to school longer. They're uh, even staying, living at home uh, with their parents longer. Uh, they're putting off some of those um, previously our cultural norm probably was is to get married at 18 to 25 and they're putting that off because they're seeing that uh, the best thing for a strong marriage in their mind is to be financially secure first. And sometimes that means they have to build that career. Sometimes they have to go to school longer. And those really are, I think the, the key challenges. But in addition, I think that the relationships have become uh, less committed and less dedicated uh, as they were in the old days, the old courting, uh, uh, the old timey courting um, cultural uh, pieces just aren't happening the way they used to. I think people date longer and they uh, are committed less and it takes longer to establish that that deep love that they need to feel like they can trust and then ultimately get married. So you mentioned three things. I'll break it down for our, our listeners and viewers. One is money in economy. People don't have the money. Two is education. They're in school for, I mean, very long swaths of time. I see in my practice, you know, more clients are getting master's degree, doctorate degrees, two doctorate degrees, right? And then the last one is something related to values. Um, look, if, if the economy changes or people can get jobs without needing a doctorate, as I, I'm seeing, you know, things People aren't valuing the degrees as much as, as they were, that, that there might be a tipping point happening there. Are, are we going to see people get married earlier again, or is that over? I mean, are we just too far down the road? This is the new norm. This is the trend. It's not going to reverse. Anthony, I think that we have a very cyclical uh, set of behavioral patterns, uh, and whether it's marriage or whether it's uh, you know, getting back to blue collar work and leaving some of these higher end uh, jobs that require a, a master's or a um, PhD, uh, leaving some of those things behind. I'm not really sure when that will be. I think it is cyclical. I think what we'll find is that uh, there will be an ebb and flow. Uh, some of that, again, is kind of um, values based, as you mentioned. I mm -hmm. think people will realize that, no, it's not 
you know, advantageous for me to wait so long. Uh, and I think that we will get back to that. I do think that for now, and I would dare say maybe even the next five or 10 years, maybe even a, a full generation, we're going to see that it is uh, well into the late 20s, early 30s before people are getting married. Um, so I think that it is a cycle. So the pendulum will swing, but it might be a very slow swing. Yeah. And again, we have to learn. Uh, and as a society, when you look at kind of big picture, I think we've learned some things that work well and we've learned some things that didn't work well, but we tried them out. And uh, as we go through some of that, um, um, you know, uh, I like to say that experience is the worst teacher. It gives you the test first. It teaches the <laughs> lesson after. So, again, I think we're going to learn some of those things as we go. That's a good way to put it. Okay. Well, what are then some of the unique challenges that you're seeing in people who are getting married later in life? Um, I think that people get very used to being, hey, I'm my own guy or I'm my own girl. I can do my own thing. And uh, when they finally decide to make the commitment, they have to make a change in behavior. And let's face it, it's a habit. Uh, and habits can be good and habits can be bad. For example, smoking might be considered a tough habit to break. Mm -hmm. uh, you get used to doing that same thing over and over. And again, when you look at relationships, we're seeing very uh, frequently in this practice that people are, uh, they are immersed in their habits. They love their habits. And when they're in these habits, uh, it is a little difficult to break. So we have to show them uh, the benefit really and lead them kind of uh, the carrot and the stick in some cases, but we want to lead them into a successful marriage relationship. And that does take some time. Um, so again, there are some benefits to uh, waiting a little bit. Yeah, you're going to be a little more financially stable. What does that mean in the marriage? Less financial strife. That means less mm -hmm. arguing over money. That's a good thing. Uh, but again, at the same time, um, once you get into your habit of being Hey, I go and I hang out with the guys. I play golf or in some cases for the ladies, uh, they're going to have their special hobbies that they really like to do. And they may not be as open with sharing their time. And what I found is that having that quality time and having that dedicated uh, time for the family is something that is um, less likely to happen. Uh, again, it's, it's a habit. Now, is it, is it about hobbies and pastimes and time allocation or, uh, are you finding the habits are just the way that people do life? What are some of the most um, difficult habits that people bring into a marriage where they're finding themselves butting heads with their partner? The number one issue is money. money. Anthony, people now are having uh, problems with, it's my account, this is my money, I make this money, this is mine. Mm. You keep your money, I'll keep my money, and it's a lack of trust. And the reason is, is they've got good systems in place. Uh, and again, if you had gotten married earlier in life, maybe in your uh, late teens and early 20s, and you had no money, and you were you know, building a life together, and you're really um, uh, consolidating resources, particularly finances, you do get in a habit of, trust of, hey, you know, I'm going to run the bills or my wife will run the bills. And, you know, you really trust them to do a good job with that. And there is um, there is a tendency to want to keep mine, mine and keep yours, yours. And in my opinion, I think that uh, it makes it hard to have good transparency. And I also think that um, there may even there could be some struggle with financial abuse in that case, but that that's not a, a guarantee. It's not a cause and effect relationship. It's just something that I do see. You know, I, I'll, 
a number of couples counselors, more than a number, a fair fair percentage of them do really advocate strongly for merging those checking accounts, merging those accounts and not keeping them separate. You fall, I mean, squarely into that category. So for some of our, our viewers or our listeners who are maybe married or, or looking to get married, they might have not even considered this as something that they should be doing. Uh, can, you, can you break that down a little bit more? Like, why is it so important uh, – for, for that to happen? Or is it not important for everybody? Um, great question, Anthony. And the I'm a big fan of metaphors. So let's talk in metaphors for just a moment. Okay. So we want to uh, we want to both grab a hold of the rope and we want to both pull in the same direction. Or, hey, we're in a boat. We want to both grab the oars or the paddles and we want to both stroke in the same direction. The thing that we're finding is that when you have an experience where two people come together, they work as a team, they have interdependence mm-hmm. uh, as opposed to maybe codependence. Uh, it's really an effective way to uh, build love and build trust and build respect. Um, perfect example. I'm pretty good with money, but my wife is amazing. I trust her explicitly. Um, we have money in my opinion, because she manages our money. Well, could I do it? Sure. Could I pay those bills? Sure. Um, But the real advantage is that she keeps accountability of where the money is going. Now, this is what we typically see. I have my money. You have your money. I don't know what you have. You don't know what I have. Likewise, I don't know what you're buying. You don't know what I'm buying. And a lot of times there could be some uh, redundancy. Oh, we both, uh, you know, have bought the same thing that you know, and now we have more than we really need. Or My wife and I have done that same thing. We, we both come home from work. We both went to the store and bought the same things. Yeah. And again, it's, uh, it's, it's kind of funny. It's kind of ironic. It's usually not a major problem. But when you're really talking about a relationship, what are you talking about? Pooling resources. Mm-hmm. And again, you're pooling resources for the function of two individuals to build a family together in most cases. And that may include children or it might not. But still, that family unit is stronger when it's unified than if it's just two people that are room, being roommates together and, oh, yeah, we just happen to be married. Yeah. Now, you use the word interdependence. I want to break that down for those who are listening. Now, we got dependence, which is I need you. We got codependence, codependence, which is I need you to need me. And then interdependence is what, Curtis? Yeah. Uh, I lean on you when I need you and you lean on me when you need me, but it's not a function of, I can't exist without you. Yeah, I can get it done, but I love having you backing me up and you love having me backing uh, you up. I think I said that right. Uh, at at any rate, it is, uh, again, it is back to the metaphor. Both of us have paddles. We're both in the same boat. We're both paddling in the same direction. So, Anthony, uh, you know, paint us the picture. What would happen if I'm paddling forward and, you know, my wife's paddling backwards? Where do we go? We're going in circles, buddy. That's right. So, again, the, the idea is can we work together? That's the first question. And if we can't, yeah, separate checking accounts is great if you can't. Mm. If you can there are uh, distinct advantages. And again, I'm a, I'm a big fan of that. And um, by the way, as counselors, we should meet the clients where they are. Some won't be ready. Some will resist that. Okay. Uh, we expose them to it. We 
kind of lead them there. And uh, if they like it, then we get them on board. And if not, there's many other things we can work on. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I don't think we're going to have another topic where we talk about money and relationships for a while. So if you could allow me, I want to dig just a little bit deeper because I think it's important. How involved do each partner need to be in regard to the finances of the marriage? Is it, is it a, is this an area where one partner can say, you're going to deal with the finances. I'm going to deal with something else. Uh, how involved do both need to be on the financial plan? Wow. That is such a great question. Anthony, as a 24 year army veteran, let me just say, uh, my wife had to be completely able to do every single thing in my absence in the event that I got deployed overseas uh, for war. Uh, and by the way, yes, and she was very successful at that as I've been deployed. Uh, likewise, uh, in the event that something were to happen to my wife, I mean, heaven forbid, I mean, I couldn't be left you know, stranded with no idea what she was paying, what she was doing. It requires communication. And really, that's what a relationship is firmly uh, rooted in is that good communication. Um, do I take time to look at the account, even though she's maybe running the bank uh, uh, policy for us? She's running the checking account, looking at the savings account. She's putting money in investments for retirement or school or whatever it may be for our kids. Yes, I need to be informed. I can't just be ignorant. Uh, it's not blind faith that I'm talking about. What it is is um, I rely on her to have the ball. She's running downfield, another great metaphor. She's the one running down the field with the ball. But in the event that she fumbles the ball or trips up or maybe gets tackled, I have to be ready to pick up that ball, proverbial ball, and then I got to do it. Uh, again, she could um, maybe she could uh, decide to advance her own career heavily and, and she starts having trips out of state, who knows, these things happen, Uh, goes back to school and she's overwhelmed with schoolwork. Maybe I take some of the load off of her. It is interdependence that I could pick up those tasks as needed. So again, I do not advocate that one person be completely and totally running it with no oversight from the other person. It is about good communication. Yeah, that's a great real life example, I think, of of interdependence. Because if one of you were to get deployed or be occupied, the other person could pick up the ball and run with it, uh, but you're playing off each other's strengths. Absolutely, Anthony. So what are some of the uh, advantages of waiting other than money and other than careers? Uh, For those who are watching or listening who are preparing to get married after 30. Are there any specific strengths that they should, that they're bringing to the table that those who are getting married younger are not? So Anthony, I didn't even have my game together until I was 30. And what do I mean by that? Uh, We know uh, a little bit about the brain in that the frontal lobe isn't even fully formed, isn't even fully functional until well after you know your teenage years into your 20s some in some cases 20 25 so when you think about that what how important is the frontal lobe to us it's the foresight it can we plan can we make good decisions with an understanding of outcomes and if we can uh, we're probably going to make better choices so do you in the 12th grade marry your sweetheart who you, you know, you don't know anything about, you've never spent time together other than, you know, Friday night dates, you maybe grew up with her, you maybe had Sunday school with her since you were five, who knows, but it's just love and it's great. I think you should get married, but knowing 
what I know about the brain, you're going to make better choices with a fully functioning frontal lobe. What does that really mean? Waiting a little longer, you're probably going to be better prepared. You're going to think better. You're going to know more. You're going to make better decisions. And again, finding the right partner is by far more important than finding, you know, the partner right now. The old saying is, you know, are you looking for Mr. Right or Mr. Right now? Uh, again, you know, there are guys that are available right now. It might not be Mr. Right for you or vice versa, Mrs. Right. So again, you could wait. Uh, you could take a look, uh, make sure that uh, they're leading their life in the same direction as you are. Um, maybe you really want a traditional marriage with your spouse, and that means one or the other is career-minded and one or the other is the nurturer and stays home. Those traditional values we don't see very often. But if that's the case, what if you married somebody early on and both wanted a very high-demand job? Well, it's going to be difficult to have that traditional marriage. And the opposite is also true. Maybe you want a very career-focused you know, partner, uh, be it the husband or the wife, both working hard, both getting you know, high levels of education. And come to find out the person that you married doesn't have that drive and doesn't want those things. So you can uh, look out a little bit better. You can talk. You can work through those things. And by the way, this is a shameless plug for us little premarital counseling goes a long way. Uh, let's find out what your personality type is. Let's talk about your goals. Let's talk about roles. These are things in marriage that are huge and we don't typically teach those in school. And as a result, people get into marriage and, you know, they have these uh, beliefs that aren't even close to reality. I thought when I was 18 that you get married and the the woman stays home and the man goes and works and the woman takes care of the kids and loves and is a little happy, you know, homemaker. And the husband is Mr. Hey, honey, it's five o'clock and I'm home. Is my dinner on the table? I was wrong, man. That's just <laughs> Surprise. Not. So again, uh, be careful of those preconceived notions, work out your plan. That's kind of my, uh, my, uh, my idea for, yeah, let's wait a little bit. It's good. Yeah. You know, you talk about the, the development of the brain, in particular the frontal lobe and the emotional maturity. And I guess for if we just want to be very simplistic, we could just say maturity. Maturity is a real thing and it actually takes real time. And I, I think you're right uh, to sort of elaborate a little bit, you know, for the clients that I've had who got married young, they don't know who they are yet. And we're always changing, but we're definitely changing even more the younger we are. So they get married and the husband and wife think that they know the roles they're going to want. And four or five years later, they realize what I thought I wanted isn't what I want. That's what 21 me wanted. But 31 me realizes 21 me was an idiot. <laughs> and I want something very different. And they're renegotiating their entire marriage 10 years in. And I guess that, that happens even later in marriage, you know, where 51 me doesn't want the same thing as 31 year old me. Um, but the younger you are, probably the more frequently and the more drastic those changes are going to be. Yes. And let me also add, it's, they aren't mutually exclusive. You can be younger and get married and you can plan these things out and you can have some good forethought. It's just a little less likely. Uh, again, I just didn't have all my stuff in one sock until I was about 30. And then I started figuring things out. I kind of changed again. Like you said, I kind of became the me I am today rather than the me that I was back in my teenage years. I like to have all of my stuff in one in one sock. <laughs> 
Now we're we're running a, a little bit tight on time, but I I do have another question I want to ask you. You know, I had a client once who had gotten married uh, later in life, and he says, you know, like I, he has no regrets. He's he's very happy with his wife. He's very happy with the way things worked out. But he said, you know, his if he had a regret, it would be that he he knew that he wasn't really going to know his grandkids uh, very well because he was, you know, he he did the math. He realized, you know, he wasn't going to see his grandkids grow up. Developmentally, uh, what what impact does that have? I mean, we might be going into a generation of, of people who will not be knowing their grandkids or remembering them very well. Uh, what impact is that going to have, if, if any? Um, I immediately think of the old, again, another great proverb that it takes a village to raise a child. More and more, we're seeing dual income families. These are moms and dads that are working at least eight hours a day, probably five days a week. That leaves a great opportunity for grandparents to have an impact on the children. And let's just say that if 18-year-old me wasn't as smart as 30-year-old me, then you start looking at grandparents, wow, what a wealth of information that they have. They can teach the values. They can teach the um, the importance of uh, you know, the, where the family came from, uh, they can spend time with the child in a way that maybe a tired and overworked, uh, you know, workaholic. And I kind of fall into that category sometimes, you know, we don't have all the energy that we want to give to our kids. Uh, and, and that's a choice, but man, it's amazing if you have your grandparents available to do that, or even an aunt or an uncle, uh, these are amazing things that uh, children need. They need that adult interaction. And I'm not saying adult supervision. That's a little different. They need adult interaction. They need to understand that, hey, adults are cool people. You know, we're not just the ones that give you the beatings when you're bad or, you know, take away your cell phone whenever, you know, you've made them angry uh, or make you do homework. You know, that's, yeah, that's kind of our duty, our responsibility. But uh, it is statistically proven that kids that have love in the family they do better in school. They usually are goal oriented. They're usually fit, more physically fit. I mean, they're just stronger and better adapted. And it's usually because they've had good guidance. So Anthony, grandparents are huge. And I'll be honest, you know, I was uh, in my thirties when I got married and my, you know, my youngest right now, I'm eight, I'm 45. My youngest is seven. I have twins that are seven years old. Um, you know, in another 12 years or 13 years there, they may be considering marriage and, you know, I'm going to be in my sixties and then their kids, you know, by the time they're in school, you know, I'll be seventies or even eighties, I'll be an old guy or maybe I'll even be gone. Um, do I worry about that? I'll do the best I can every day that I'm here. That's what we have power over. Uh, I wouldn't, have too much stress and anxiety over, oh, well, I'll be too old. Do what you can now. Set things up. Set things in place. Uh, if nothing else, maybe you could set a little money aside, even if it's not a lot. These are good contributions that grandparents can make. That's good advice. Now, uh, uh, Curtis, how can people uh, – I know uh, you, you've, you've got so so much to give here. Uh, I know our, our listeners are going to want to get a hold of you. How can they contact you? Yeah, absolutely. You know, Anthony, my life is an open book. Uh, I'm fine with them calling me directly. They can even email me directly. Uh, if they want to talk and just get a tip, I'll be glad to do that. So they can reach me uh, on email is probably the easiest way. And that's Curtis with two S's at thriveworks.com. And I'll go ahead and spell that. It's C-U-R-T-I-S-S at T-H-R-I-V-E-W-O-R-K-S. 
www.ryanmcdonald.com. Uh, and again, if they email me and they want to talk personally, I'll give them my phone number directly. Um, they can also go to our website and uh, that's www.thriveworks.com forward slash Conway counseling. Curtis Robinson, thank you for joining us. All right. Thanks, Anthony. It's been great.